0: Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is artist manager, Talia Elitzer. First of all, let's talk about streaming farms. There's a lot of emerging artists that are using them these days, but that might not be a great idea. What's a streaming farm? Well, it's a service that's designed to inflate streams or add a lot of fake listens to a song. They can massively increase the number of listeners and as a result, raise the hype surrounding an artist, which is why everybody wants to use them. Unlike other methods, they don't require a person to be a tech or a marketing genius to set them up. It's pretty easy to do, actually. You don't have to program any bots. You just have to get a bunch of cell phones with an operator. So these farms are found not only in Asia, but even in the US. Now here's the thing that's interesting it's been estimated that 3 to 4% of all global streams are illegitimate. That's around $300 million in potential lost revenue that's basically moved from legitimate streams to illegitimate or illegal streams. But, fact of the matter is, even major artists and labels have used them. So, it sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? But, faking listeners can backfire on you. Music professionals can actually spot fake streams from a mile away because all the listens come from the same town or the same city and also they don't have much of a social imprint. So even though there seems to be a lot of hype on the streaming service like Spotify, there isn't the same type of hype on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or anywhere else. They're not terribly expensive though. The cost averages around $1,500 for 100,000 streams. But remember, you can get kicked off the platform if they discover that you're doing it. So purchasing a service from a streaming farm might sound like a good idea, but it can really do your career more harm than good. If you have any questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineers Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted rate at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. Also, remember that you can learn about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now, there are so many music tech startups that are focusing specifically on using AI or artificial intelligence in order to get a job done. And when it comes to AI, there's a lot of people that are really afraid of it. And mostly they're afraid it's going to take their job away. But if you think about what AI is being used in today, maybe it won't feel quite the same way for instance it's used in the recommendation algorithms by spotify and youtube and tiktok although they seem to be the best at it and they're using it to understand your music preferences so they can deliver better music that you'll like but on the downside you're getting things like deep fake soundalikes or creating a song that sounds just like your favorite artist now on the upside It can be used to help you create new chords and melodies and rhythms. It can help you compose a symphony. It can help you turn out your content faster, make music videos, which is really good at, and find copyright violators. In audio production, it can make suggestions for mixes and reverb and mastering, and that's already happening with Isotope and Lander, for instance. It can help you create music for media, like videos and commercials. Shazam uses it to help identify songs, and Output lets users build loops into full-length tracks. For better or for worse, labels are using it to understand the latest trends and to find new artists. So in the end, AI is just another tool. It's not going to replace musicians, and it's not going to replace industry execs, as long as everyone understands how to use it. My guest this week is Talia Elitzer, who along with her partner Nick Sylvester leads Godmode, company that offers label, management, publishing, and creative direction services. Godmode has an unorthodox approach to artist management in that they specialize in managing artists that don't quite fit pre-existing formats. During the pandemic, Godmode was able to successfully stabilize their artists' careers and even help them achieve growth on streaming services and TikTok. They were even able to secure four Apple TV ad spots in the last 12 months. Before God Mode, Talia began her career at the giant WME, looking after tours for Britney Spears and MIA. She then left for a stint in a and at Capitol Records, taking on projects for artists like Katy Perry, Beck, and Sky Ferreira. During the interview, we spoke about what it's like to start in the mailroom at William Morris, the importance of the artists being involved with marketing themselves, review on Web3, and much more. I spoke with Talia via Zoom from her office in Los Angeles. Let's go back to the beginning. Tell me about you getting into the music business. How did that happen?
1: Um, How did that happen? Let's see. Well, uh, I mean, basically, as soon as I learned that that was a job one could have, which took me probably until I was in college because I grew up in upstate New York. And, you know, unlike some friends of mine who grew up in, in LA, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't part of my worldview. And I didn't know that that was really a thing. And, um, and so I, I had a couple internships when I was in school. I worked at a management company. um, And then I basically, I spammed William Morris with my resume. And uh, I, I think I, I physically mailed it, I faxed it I emailed it uh, and somehow they, they eventually called me and um, you know I didn't have any uh, personal connections or anything I just got very lucky that they, uh, they called me.
0: That actually worked.
1: It did it did. I was very determined so uh, but yeah was, I got I was lucky that they picked up my name in, in the pile.
0: Yeah, you often hear about people trying stuff like that and that not working for them.
1: Yes, for whatever. I I tried to, this probably still, they probably don't even get physical applications, but I remember putting it on heavier weight paper so that it would hopefully be like easier to grab.
0: Okay, so uh, what did you do at William Morris then?
1: Um, I I started in the nail room and and worked my way up there. Uh, Classic, you know, classic story. But but yeah, I did that. I pushed a mail cart for a bit, um, which is, which is, you're definitely delivering mail, but you're also kind of elbowing other people to get into, you know, very competitive at the same time. Um, but yeah, I, I did that for a while. Then I worked uh in the music department and I became an assistant there, um, working for uh an agent named Sam Kirby and uh and then kind of just worked my way up in that system. So I did a lot of different things, but um but yeah, started out literally delivering mail and then started working on with artists like uh, MIA or Alicia Keys or, uh, TV on the radio or Grace Jones. Uh, so a, whole, a big, a big range of folks.
0: So how did you get to a and at Capital? from there?
1: Um, I had worked, I, I had left William Morris. I worked at a, a management company briefly in New York and, um, actually a lawyer that I worked with was formerly MIA's attorney uh, I had just become close with her while I was an assistant and, um, cause that was a very lots of drama going on at that time. And, uh, so she was calling a lot, but I had just stayed close with her and she actually got when, uh, this, I guess this was in 2012 ish, she became the like number two over there. And so I had called her and said, Hey, are you, are you hiring? And so she, uh, she hired me.
0: Tell me about being an A&R. Because it's changed a lot over the years and the traditional workload f- workflow, I should say, for A&R execs is way different.
1: It is. I think in my mind, I thought it was one thing and in reality, it was something very different. I mean, I was when I was doing it, it was sort of like at the transition of when streaming kind of became more dominant. So it was, it was a very sort of dicey time across the board and labels were still not in a healthy place. You know, it, basically from my time starting there to when I ended up, you know, traditional a and basically was completely gone. And uh, it was much more about kind of, you know, this always existed to a degree, but it was much more about how a song is performing and much more research based it's called and rather than kind of finding a talent and a, you know, someone with star power and, and kind of, you know, putting effort behind them. It was much more about putting effort, behind, putting money in, you know, gas behind something that's already working or already has proof of concept. So that's, that's kind of more what it is.
0: Because it used to be that if anybody was drawing a crowd anywhere, there'd be A&R people all over the place trying to sign them because you're getting signed for your audience. But now that's changed. The whole emphasis has changed. It's more for what are your numbers?
1: Yeah, it's just, it's just in a different place. So it's you know it's where your numbers online versus in person, but yeah it's it's that it's really I mean to the majors at least that's what they that's what they are looking for so because it's you know a, a you know they're it's more like uh, you know they want to they just want to see that it's working and then they'll add you know millions of dollars to that to spend on it.
0: Okay, so working for a label and then getting into management that's way different and a lot more work as well. So what? made you make the jump to that
1: um well i had started my company back in when i was living in new york and we you know basically had kind of a community of of people in new york we used to throw parties and it was kind of a scene there and uh this artist that reached out to us at the time uh and we you know developed him signed him developed him put out his first project and then signed him to a a label and we were just sort of like okay like yeah we did it like this is working there's a lot of buzz and you know whatever and it was working with that label was just so disheartening and just working like working with labels in general can be very disheartening um because they just don't you know they do what they do they're not necessarily the most modern or uh the most you know in touch with what is best for that particular artist either so we were that was sort of the catalyst to doing god mode but i was doing that on the side i was my side hustle while i worked at capital so uh any good R person has a side hustle but it's uh so i so i was doing that but it's and then basically i just sort of as i was doing that i was like oh i like this a lot more than sort of the, the AR work and the politics that you have to deal with in those jobs and and all of that and so i basically ultimately decided to make the jump uh to do it full-time
0: but now management basically has so many more tools and you have to rely on the label for a lot less Uh, marketing for instance you could do it all yourself if you have the money
1: yeah i mean it's it's you know as a manager these days you are kind of you are have taken the role of what a label traditionally used to do i think good managers now go and uh you know will bring the label marketing plans and you kind of have to mobilize the label to do what you want to do i think you know, managers from a generation ago would probably just sort of manage what the label was doing. But um, it's a very different dynamic now.
0: How many artists do you have?
1: Um, For management, I just have three. And then we also have a label as well. Um, So I have a number of other artists signed to the label. Uh, And we also have a publishing company as well.
0: So if you're working with an artist, it takes up a lot of time. What is the limit, do you think, of the number of artists that you can actually work with and do a good job at the same time?
1: I mean, it's hard. It's it's for management, it's hard to have, you know, a lot. Um, I think it's, uh, it's a very personal job. And it's a lot of it is about a, having that personal relationship with the artist. Um, but, you know, I think, depends. it depends what kind of company you want to be too. So there are some people, you know, some of the bigger companies, you know, they might say the head guy is there manager when in fact it's actually a younger person you know kind of doing the majority of the work but for me I wouldn't I I don't ever want to be a company like that where it's I'm not involved in the actual work so I think it's I don't know what the number is but it's not a lot
0: being a psychologist is a big part of this too
1: it is psychologist mother you know therapist Yeah. uh, yeah all those things
0: I had somebody on my podcast a year or two ago that was telling me that she went back to school to get her master's in psychology so she could do a better job. Oh my
1: god, that's very that's very generous.
0: <laughs> and, and I asked her, "Did it help?" And she said, "Oh God, yes." So <laughs> oh, interesting, interesting.
1: No, it's uh, I mean, it's definitely a big part of the job, but it's uh, it's it, it's being a manager is sort of you're at the intersection of uh, of art and commerce, so you have to figure out how to. How to get uh, make the art a business, and uh, how to have it make sense, and that's a big part of a big part of what I do.
0: Okay, speaking of that, from what I gather, you specialize in working with artists that are somewhat hard to categorize.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the all the the artists that we know and love in the world are artists that wouldn't necessarily, or not all, but many of them are artists that probably when they started couldn't fit into a specific box, and I think. For me, the music that has always excited me has been something that's new and innovative and isn't just kind of doing what everyone else is doing. And uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of how we, we find the artists that we work with.
0: That begs the question, what do you look for in an artist? What is the thing that's going to excite you and say, I, I want to work with this artist?
1: I mean, I don't know that there's a specific answer, but I think if I had to, to say one one sentence that kind of encapsulates it it's obviously the person needs to be talented they need to have uh that sort of star power going for them but even more importantly it's they have to have a really strong work ethic and because it's it's a really 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 hard job to be an artist and you know i've been in situations in years past where i'm working harder than the artist is and that just never works out well so i think that's the biggest that's the biggest thing i look for which is hard to suss out you know in the beginning but it's that's a really important
0: thing. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because artists if they had their their way, they would just create. They don't want to think about marketing, they don't want to think about sales, they don't want to think about anything except creating. But the ones that are are successful, those are the ones that tend to, you know, spend the time on these other things or even like doing those other things. Mm-hmm. So how do you find that?
1: Um I mean I I don't, I think it's pretty impossible to be an artist in 2022 and not be interested in those things. And it's like a very unpopular thing. I have to say to all the artists that I work with, that's almost cliche at this point, but it's, it's important to be doing all the social media stuff. It's important to be thinking about how you want to present yourself, how you want to market yourself and, and all those things. And you just, it's pretty impossible to have a, have a career without doing those things in this day and age.
0: I know one of the things that is difficult for an artist is when they're using social media, because just using it is one thing, but using it to promote yourself or using it strategically is something quite different. So mm-hmm. how do you coach them into doing something that's more helpful than just being there?
1: It's it's an always an ongoing challenge. You have to figure out a way to make it. You kind of have to make it a, another creative endeavor, honestly, and think about it under those terms. Because if you don't, it'll just feel really bad really quickly. So um, there are teams that we work with that help with that, and but it's really about you know uh, we work with one artist who is really really incredible at that, and he when even when he's writing a song, he's thinking about okay, this is how I want to roll it out, or this is how I want to hmm. preview it on TikTok or whatever, and um, and it's it's really it's really important to the process.
0: Okay, speaking of TikTok. So let's go there for a second. I, I think you have an artist, right, that was a, a TikTok influencer or had, had some success on TikTok, right?
1: Um, we had an artist who had a song uh, go very viral on TikTok, which is probably what you're you're referring to. But right. um, but yeah, and he he's the one who I was just uh, who I was just talking about.
0: So do you have a particular strategy for TikTok?
1: Um, I mean, it honestly, it's it evolves constantly. Uh, when we, I, I have tended to use it less now than I have in the past because it's pretty oversaturated now. But, um, back in 2019, I was, you know, kind of before Lil Nas X blew up there, I was very big into it, but now it's, it can be more challenging to break through. So if I use it, I'm using it very sparingly and very deliberately rather than just doing a wider campaign.
0: You don't do ads, do you?
1: Uh, sometimes I do. Yeah, definitely. So it depends, it depends on what kind of what the goal of a specific campaign is. Sometimes it's just an awareness campaign um, or sometimes it's, uh, it depends. But yeah, I definitely do.
0: Where do you come down on the album these days? Because there are many that think that's an obsolete concept that's not required anymore, or, or at least not to think about it in the same way that you once did.
1: I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm old fashioned, but I still think it's very important. And I still think it's important to have a body of work that you know, has intention and has its own narrative and I don't think you can accomplish that with, you know, just a single or an EP or something in the same way, you know, maybe a, you know, a 15 year old would disagree with me, but I think, uh, but I still think it's important. I don't, I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon.
0: So what happens then? Do do you roll the album out first and then the singles or the singles into the album?
1: Lots of singles. It's the same thing. Lots of singles into an album. You know, you still have to kind of... Pro, you promo the album for, you know, a year with different singles, different... You know, you tour, you you do all that kind of stuff, and then eventually it leads to an album.
0: Okay, let's talk about touring for a second, because that's getting way difficult, just the costs alone. And there are fewer venues than there have been before. So how does that work for you then?
1: Uh, I mean, touring's, touring, i are very, very, very happy to have it back in full force. I think since COVID, it's gotten harder to find crew um and the better crew people are more expensive and very in demand and so it can be harder to keep crew but um and obviously freight costs and all that are more expensive but um, other than that it's pretty status quo i'm just very grateful to have it be back i think well it'll be an interesting next couple years with you know our impending or current recession whatever your opinion is that's here or not officially arrived or not but um So I think that will affect ticket sales for sure. But, but I think other than that, it's, it's kind of chugging along.
0: Do any of your artists do anything in Europe, specifically the UK?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. So how does Brexit fit into this?
1: It's interesting. We, for the first, I, I hadn't even thought about it. And then I had an artist playing, he was doing a UK and Ireland tour. And he had a lighting rig that, you know, we rented in the UK. Normally wouldn't be a big deal to bring it across the border. And then suddenly my tour manager called me at like 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning or something. I'm like, oh, something's something's really wrong. And uh, he was like, so with Brexit now, if we were to bring this over the border to Ireland, I, we're going to have to pay to ensure the cost of owning the lighting rig not renting it which is what we were doing which was still a lot of money but he's like so basically i forget the dollar amount but it was like a six-figure number we would have to pay wow. and it was just like this is not feasible and so in that moment i just had to make a game di- game time decision he's like i can risk it they may not flag me but if we do that's what we're up against or you know no lighting basically uh and so we ended up having to choose no lighting because i don't think it was worth that risk but yeah that was a that was a very sorry if that's too uh detailed and boring but that was uh that was a, the first example of kind of the effect and then there's been some this doesn't affect me as much but i know for artists that are more based overseas i know there's been issues about crew and their visas and, and that kind of thing but um, we mostly have american crews traveling so it's less less of an issue
0: yeah i you know it's funny because i think what happened the pandemic actually took the emphasis off of that. It did. So people didn't think about it because they didn't have to worry about it. And then the pandemic begins to subside and suddenly it's there, it's in your face. So I think we're only seeing the beginning of, of the ramifications of that.
1: No, I think you're definitely right. For me now, I'm just sort of playing it very safe and renting things locally where I can, but we'll, we'll kind of have to see how it all plays out.
0: What happened for you during the pandemic?
1: Um, I mean, I felt very grateful to be also a label during that time. Um, a lot of manager friends of mine, or particularly I have a lot of friends who manage DJs and that kind of thing, and they just, they literally made zero dollars for those, for that time period because there was no, there were no shows. So, I mean, I tried to just think about it very as creatively as possible or as a challenge. So I had an, I had an artist who basically was supposed to play, you know, every major festival he's a developing artist um, really get his name out there by touring and you know supporting different artists and he but basically instead of we weren't able to tour obviously but instead of doing that he was asked to feature on a lot of different uh, other artists tracks and we basically just said yes to everything and even stuff we didn't really want to do but it's uh but algorithmically that put him in front of a lot of different types of people and so you know then spotify is going to show him to this person's audience or this person's audience and his numbers, like I probably grew five or six times what they were at least and, um, has really put him in a position. So his, this artist's name is channel trace and he, you know, he was going to be playing Coachella pre pandemic and then played it in April when it finally happened. And there were probably 30,000 people there who showed up for his set. And it was just like, Oh, it's kind of unnerving. Cause you don't know first shows that he's played and he really grew in the pandemic. And then we're like, Oh, I guess people, people know him now. So, you know, it was cool to see stuff like that. Wow! But we also made for other artists, we made a lot of merch and did special specialty merch drops and that kind of thing, or uh, just tried to really keep, keep the flow of music coming.
0: You've been pretty lucky with Apple ad spots, right?
1: (laughs) Yes. They, they have been very good to us uh, over the years. I think our, the music that we work with tends to be very, I don't know what the word is. It's just, just their, their, their cup of tea, I guess.
0: So did they find your artists?
1: Yeah. I mean, both. I think that, you know, I know a lot of them, the people that work there and who, who work on this stuff, but Apple particularly, you know, even more so than ad agencies or other even TV shows and movies like there's, it has to go through so many rounds of approvals, you know, at that company. And so it's, uh, even if you know someone and they're like it's going to go through, that does not mean it's going to go through. But, uh, but yeah, we've gotten we've gotten very lucky.
0: It's funny because I have a couple of friends that work there in very high positions, and the conversations we have are really one way. They'll ask me questions, you know, fact finding essentially. I'll ask them questions, I get nothing back.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I also think they don't. A lot of them don't know. It's very siloed there too. Yeah. So they kind of know what's what they're working on. But yeah, it's always, we, we do a lot of work with uh, Media Arts Lab, which is their agency, and then also people at Apple directly uh, who work on that stuff.
0: How about your deal with Hypnosis, your publishing deal?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we're a pretty vertically integrated company. So we, a lot of the music that we make happens here in this building that I'm in right now. We have an office and then two studios as well. And so a lot of the same people tend to work on our stuff. And so we wanted to just be able to sign different types of writers and producers and be involved on that side because we're, we're involved in that anyways. And so, um, yeah, we had just been in touch with this company hypnosis. They have been wonderful and are people that are really sort of interested in doing things a little bit differently and thinking about things differently. And so we started, uh, started working with them, uh, just at the top of the year, actually.
0: Yeah. They're a big company now and it's funny because they sort of came out of nowhere.
1: Well, they the only, it's interesting because the people that we work with are you know they're the former heads of a company called Big Deal, which Hypnosis bought, um, and because Hypnosis had no, they were just acquiring catalog, and so this is their their full A and R staff is is all the Big Deal people that they took over, and so I think it it'll be interesting to see kind of what all this I think the whole nature of publishing and and what everything is 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 evolving right now because you know there has been a such an influx of cash into it, and so I think we'll see. Uh, just the way that samples are thought about be kind of put on its head. And and I think it's a really interesting and exciting time. Um, but I love being involved on the, on the more creative side of things. And so it's just a fun way for me to, for me to, you know, have my hands, uh, you know, be able to roll up my sleeves and, and, and that side of things a little bit more.
0: Are you looking at web three or NFTs?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, if you had, you asked me that two months ago, I would have been, Maybe more enthusiastic before the market totally tanked, but but yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's definitely still in its infancy. But I think it. What's exciting to me is that you know the way that Web three and the way that NFTs are sold is all about having a much smaller community or smaller fan, you know, number of fans. But you can have just a couple thousand fans, but those fans are very enthusiastic. So you can earn a living as an artist and you can cultivate a community of just much fewer people and really have a thriving career. And I think that's really interesting to me because I think, you know, you could have 2000 people who really give a shit or you could have a million Instagram followers who don't really give a shit. And uh, to me, I'd much rather have fewer people who give a shit. And I think that's how you have a sustainable career. Um, and we talked to, I was talking to an artist who's a friend of mine who I don't work with and, he's like, yeah, I feel like I have people who like kind of like me, but they don't, I don't know that they really care about me. And so I think that's a lot of the work that we do across the board is really trying to cultivate that type of fan. And uh, like, we work with an artist named uh, JPEG Mafia, who he makes like very sort of uh, alternative rap music, Uh, but his fans are obsessed with him. It's like a really intense cult following. They try to They, you know, they follow his every move. He tweeted this, he wrote this, what does that mean? You know? And so a lot of the work that we do is really rewarding them. And like we put, uh, last fall, we were announcing his first headline tour since COVID. And we put, we basically ran a whole campaign where we put a private presale link only to those fans who are in his private discord. And we sold out the tour through that link. So, but like that to me is really exciting. I think that is the similar concept to the web three stuff. And I think the more, I I think a lot of these companies, these NFT companies that are doing stuff, I think it's fine, but I don't think that's where it's going to, that's not what's exciting to me about it. What's exciting to me is kind of like where it can go and how we can use that technology to, you know, to, to really help artists.
0: Yeah. I think the predictions of what it's supposed to be are not, I'm not so sure how on the mark they are.
1: No, I totally agree. I think it's a little, it's a little, there's a lot of hyperbole going on, but it's, uh, but I think the technology is exciting and I think, you know, we'll see what happens after we come out of this slump, because I think a lot of the people that were spending money in that world are, have stopped. So we'll, we'll have to see. I think the, I think the technology and the actual, what the actual thing is, has to catch up with some of the ideas. So maybe this time we'll, you know, we'll be used for that.
0: Yeah. Last question, Talia. What's the best piece of advice that you've received? Business advice that maybe somebody imparted to you or maybe just learned along the way?
1: I think this is, I, I had been talking about this recently with a friend of mine that I think the people that you start out with are people that, you know, you follow through your whole career. And some of the people who I literally delivered mail with are now some of the biggest agents and managers and and all that. And I think, you know, if you, if you behave with class and integrity and all that, I think that really goes a long way. Uh, And I think, you know, if you, especially in LA, there are a lot of, a lot of big talkers and a lot of egos and and a lot of that stuff. And I think if you put your head down and do the work and worry about the actual, I think sometimes we also forget that we're making, we're actually, we're making art and the product is music and, Uh, I think if we do a good job and really if the passion is there and you behave with integrity, I think that goes a really long way.
0: You can find out more about Talia and God Mode at godmodemusic.com. That's godmodemusic, G-O-D-M-O-D-E, music.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, where you can find an Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean at BobbyOsinski.com and BobbyOwnerCircle.com. You'll also find the sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time.